Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. Hey guys, it's Josiah with the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I've got a really, really solid episode for you today. Today, I'm interviewing Emily Hicks. Emily is an attorney specializing in real estate, and she is out of Jacksonville, Florida. Emily and her husband are flipping about 30 houses a year. And uh, Emily survived the uh, 2008 crash um, while investing in real estate in Florida. She's got some good stories around that. And her husband is a broker, owns his own brokerage. These guys bleed real estate. They've been through a lot. Got some Emily's got some great stories. I think you're going to really enjoy this. She's also got some really good advice uh, for setting yourself up for success from the legal perspective, um, as Emily is an attorney. So, Guys, I think you're going to really enjoy this. Sit back, take some notes on this. And um, just a side note, um, my business has has been really going like gangbusters. We have purchased our fifth property this year. We're really, really excited. We're, we're loading up on properties in good areas. And we, uh, we're, we're doing our renovations on these. And I would say that one word of wisdom I would give you when you're looking to buy properties is, and, and most people think, you know, okay, that's obvious, but be really, really careful about where you buy. Like if you're going to hold something for a long time, I would say probably the most important thing about that, that, um, that investment is going to be the location, right? Be very, very, very picky about where you buy and hold. If you're flipping something, you know, it's a little bit different proposition, but if you're doing buy and hold investing, you know, you really need to feel really solid about the area that you're buying in and hanging on to that for the long haul. And, you know, really dig into what you think the area is going to produce for you appreciation wise, because the difference in an area appreciating, you know, two and a half percent a year versus 5% a year is massive when you hold something over the course of 25 or 30 years. So really, really pay attention to the area you're investing and know your areas very well. All right, without further ado, Sit back, relax, and have a rotten time. Emily, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. This is going to be great, guys. Um, Emily and her husband are in the flipping business. They're doing about 30 flips a year, and um, she's got a lot of real estate experience. Got, uh, I think you own some commercial properties too. Is that correct? We do. We have a little bit of commercial, but the bread and butter it has really been um, single family homes. Very cool. And then your husband owns a brokerage and you are an attorney and you own your own law firm and you focus on real estate law. Is that correct? I do. We do real estate, um, estate planning, business planning, and title. So I think between the two of us, we have pretty much everything covered, but mortgages. <laughs> you, guys, <laughs> you guys bleed real estate. We do. We really do. It's uh, it it wasn't planned that way. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, you guys just have it all covered, but it just sort of evolved, um, you know, into being. So we'll I love just, it. I love it. When, yeah. are you, when are you starting your mortgage company? <laughs> Next year. <laughs> oh man! Well, I'm excited to um to dig into to how you built this flipping business, and I know um. 
when we, you know, we were kind of go, going over your your past earlier. You guys were doing this a while back, and then I think you know you went through the two thousand eight um, dip that everybody that a lot of us went through, and I'd love to hear about that and just yeah, kind of some yeah. some things you've learned, any stories you'd be w- willing to share, and yeah, just um, feel free to dive into to the whole flipping thing. Well, we did. Um, gosh, <laughs> we, yeah, my husband got started in 2004. We're here in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So it was a great, great market, great time to get involved in real estate. I mean, you know, money was just flying kind of everywhere <laughs> in 2004 and 2005. And I um, joined him in 2006 as a business partner before we were actually even married. Cool. Um, I recently moved, um, back down to Florida from New York where I was was a corporate attorney for a a very short amount of time. And I worked on um, a big, I didn't tell you about this, but a big chemical spill case and Aaron Brockovich was on the other side of it. Oh wow! (laughs) And it was just one of those things that I thought to myself, I cannot spend my life doing this. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? When all of these people have, you know, cancer and it's just this horrible, horrible experience. So I came back down to Florida with no plans whatsoever. And I started working uh, for a real estate developer and Kevin and I, um, started, I joined him and, you know, we were, he was flipping quite a few houses at the time. I don't really have a count. Um, when people always ask us, Oh, how many deals have you done? We're like, Oh, I, I really don't know. I always say like two to 300, but I, I have no idea if that's accurate. <laughs> You're like enough to not be able to remember. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I don't, we've been involved in like uh, just so many, um, in one way or another, but anyway, um, so yeah, so we went gangbusters. We were young and, you know, didn't have any, kids or any, um, you know, qualms about just going all in. And we got super over leveraged with tons of uh, rental properties and um, ended up, you know, crashing. Like to say it was a dip in the market for us is like, just slightly. <laughs> just a, <laughs> I wish it was a dip. It was more like a complete and utter crash. An abyss. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we had to just basically start over after that. And what we did was we pivoted and um, started doing um, into the default market. So I started doing short sales. Um, you know, we just kind of took everything that we could get to survive, you know, at that point. And we learned a lot. And it was, I mean, totally the school of hard knocks, you know, but I'm really grateful for it after the fact because, you know, I think when you go through something like that, you feel like, well, okay, the worst has happened. So I can just kind of get on with it and, um, you know, and rebuild. So that's what we've been able to do. And um, yeah, we were lucky enough during that time with the default market, um, Kevin got into some REOs and I was, you know, in short sales and things like that. And we met people that wanted to, um, you know, build rental portfolios that had the the forethought to think, okay, this is a really good time to be buying up everything for super cheap. And so he started building rental portfolios for people in that market. Very cool. And uh, yeah, and that's how we actually got a lot of our our funding that we use still today is through those people that we met during that period, um, you know, that now just want to, you know, they may still have their, you know, rentals, but they also just, you know, want to lend money and things like that. Sure. Sure. So, um, did you, did you offload all your rental properties during that time? Um, we did did hand the keys back to the bank or how did, how did you, we, 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 yeah, we, we had to short sell them. I mean, you know, we, 
we were so <laughs> out of our depth. <laughs> that sounds that um, sounds really really stressful. It was very stressful. What was really awesome about it too, and I'm being super sarcastic, is that we got married during that time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's amazing. You guys could have had your own TV show, reality TV show. It would have. We like to call ourselves a cautionary tale. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I guess um, it doesn't make for as good of a show on HGTV if it's like short selling Vegas, you know, or something like that. I I know. It was a super hard time, but you know... What can you do? I mean, we just, we went all in and we didn't have any other sources of income. Sure. So when the rentals dried up, you know, when people stopped paying rent or when, you know, a tenant destroyed a house or whatever, I mean, we just bled, you know, money for yeah. like a year Yeah. and we had taken on, you know, too much. And sure. it's funny. Um, I just met with a client like about an hour ago and I'm helping her sort out this old mortgage that she, you know, took out. At that at, during that time, and we joke about it was the fog a mirror, you know, uh, yeah, time yeah. where if you could fog a mirror, you could get a more. And we had like so many mortgages, you know, from from these, you know, banks. Right, so anyway, right. it was we learned we learned a lot. And was this we in, like to learn this, things the hard way? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> and was this in Jacksonville? Yes. Okay. It was in Jacksonville. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, those of us who who didn't live in Florida, you know. I was I was out in Fort Worth at that time and and just um just kind of dumb luck had had sold my rentals and gone to do the Appalachian Trail. So, but you know, the DFW market experienced kind of a dip like I was saying, but some areas mm-hmm. like, you know, Arizona, you know, some you know, like Las Vegas and Florida and some of these other markets, it was a catastrophe, you know. So, it's like It really uh, was. And yeah. I, 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 you know, it's like so, some some people, some some investors didn't didn't really experience that the way you guys did. So, I'm sure you've you've developed a tenacity with all this that maybe some people haven't really developed yet. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, we experienced it to the fullest. And one of the things that was kind of interesting at the time was I was working in house for a huge developer, like a national, this huge you know development company, and even they didn't see it coming. You know, so. Yeah. We I kind of took my lead from from them and they're like, you know, we were still buying I was still buying land for them, you know, in 2007. So, it was like we're just going to ride this out. You know, it's cyclical, you right. know, it's going to be fine. <laughs> and and then when it ha- I think everybody it was like the rug was pulled out from under you. Totally. You know? Totally. Um yeah, so I, I, I remember, like to blame them. <laughs> I, I I remember I remember I was doing appraisal work in Dallas Fort Worth at that time. And I was just, we were just daily getting appraisal orders for, for cash out refinances on these properties. You know, we'd go, I'd go out to the, to the property and the, you know, the owner is just, is just basically telling me um, that they're wanting to pull out as much cash as they can to go buy, you know, more properties or go on vacation or whatever. And it's like the property's already over leveraged. And it was just, it was just crazy because I, I could just tell that, you know, something's not right here. And then I had friends buying properties that really couldn't afford to buy the properties. Like I knew their income, yeah. you know, and they were yeah. going and buying these massive houses. And I'm like, how can you, how can you afford this house on $40,000 a year of income? You know, like this doesn't make sense. Right. And then, yeah. you know, and then we saw kind of what happened. So it's like the fog of mirror, you know, thing was going on in, out there as well. But <laughs> okay, sure. so, yeah. so tell us, so, so how did you recover and how did you get into to, how did you figure out how to flip 30 houses a year? Because that's, that's substantial. Well, you know, we um, crawled in a cave for a while <laughs> <laughs> and just said, okay, you know, let's, let's cool our jets. You know, we 
let's get over all of this. It was, you know, not a fun experience. And so, you know, like I said, we basically just had to start focusing on what we could do in the market, which was um, short sales and default. And we just slowly uh, turned it around. You know, we, uh, Kevin got his real estate license. He started listing short sales. I was negotiating them with banks and closing them. And um, we just kind of, and I had no business doing that at the time when I first started because I like just, you know, but that's, I mean, that's what being an entrepreneur is, right? I mean, you just have to kind of figure it out. There's not always that mentor, you know, on the corner that's waiting to tell you how to do everything. So you just do it. And we just did it. And we figured we got really good at it. And, you know, that really helped us recover, to be honest. So we um, stayed in our, stayed in our lane (laughs) and, you know, just, stuck with it and, and eventually just kind of climbed out of it. Yeah. So, okay. So when you were negotiating short sales with the bank, kind of walk mm-hmm. us through how that works. Oh my gosh. It's the most miserable thing you can do as a human. Um, <laughs> uh, basically I, I had this idea that, um, if I started negotiating, um, short sales for people, because we had, just done, you know, like 20 of our own. Sure. I was like, okay, we, we know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> You're like, we, we know how to do this really well. So we're gonna, like, we can, it's fine. I've got so, my niche. You know, I'm a, yeah, I'm an attorney. So, you know, obviously I, it was appropriate um, for me to take on clients and do this. And I had this idea that if I did it for them, you know, I could basically, you know, charge, you know, higher fees and everything that would be covered by the bank. And I could save the person, you know, a lot of times when people are short selling, they don't have any money, you know? So the attorneys at the time, at least here, were charging, you know, two and $3,000, you know, to negotiate it for them. And I'm like, no one has any money to do that. So I started doing it kind of for free and um, just kind of figuring out how to get the fees, you know, interwoven into the the closing fees that the essentially the bank, nice. you know, the sellers quote unquote paying for it, but they're, you know, they're not because right, the bank, right, you right. know, is taking that as part of the, the pay sure. off or whatever. So that caught on <laughs> pretty quickly and we just got super, um, you know, busy with that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, so how, so, so let's, let's talk about how you got into flipping houses yourself. Like how did y'all start that off and, and what have you learned on, on how to go about that the right way? Well, I think the keys to flipping, I mean, is good. You got to buy right. You know, you have to to know your market area. Um, you know, Kevin's, uh, that's really his expertise. You know, Jacksonville's not a super large city, but it's very spread out. And, you know, like any city, it has its pockets and it has its nice little, you know, areas that you want to be. And he's, really honed in um, throughout the years of just, you know, experience, you know, just doing it, you know, what he knows exactly, you know, when someone says a street, he knows exactly, you know, what's on it. And he just, you know, like, yeah, I already know I want that one. You know what I mean? So you, that's really great. I mean, that's, you know, very valuable to know the market inside and out. Sure. Um, You know, you have to have your funding. So most of our stuff is private money, you know, at this point, but, when we sure. started out, I mean, we were using hard money lenders, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we were, gosh, we didn't, we never used the guys that were like five points and sixteen percent or anything. Right, I think Kevin right. did when he first started out, but um, I managed to find some guys that were like two and thirteen, so we thought we were like really good, right? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, sure. Um, which isn't bad. I mean, 
So, um, you know, so we started out, you know, with hard, hard money lenders and, uh, the contractors is, I mean, that's the other huge piece of the puzzle is, do you have good contractors? I mean, when you're flipping, that's, (laughs) you've got to know the costs. You've got to know that the work is going to be done correctly. You don't want to have that come back to bite you. Sure. Um, And we're lucky enough to have two, we have two contractors that we use um, that are both excellent and they, you know, they're really a big part of the operation, you know? Absolutely. Um, One of them just happens to be a friend of ours and the other one is a friend of a friend and we just got super lucky kind of coming across him a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's you great. Know, yeah. We, yeah. My, you know, I, I would say, you know, you got to have a number of things, you know, a number of, fa- you know, a number of factors in place to really have a successful flip. One is if you don't have good contractors, I mean, you can, you can buy right. And then just the whole thing can be a massive mess, right? If you get yeah. contractors <laughs> that just come in and don't finish the job or, you know, start charging too much for things or, you know, we've had contractors or contractors, you know, basically steal from us. We've had, we've had contractors come in that aren't, you know, don't really know what they're doing. And that was, I would say we'll take responsibility for not properly vetting those guys. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, you got to take responsibility for what doesn't work, but it's like the contractor is such a massive piece. You got, you got to find the right deal. You got to be able to turn it around. Then you got to have the funding piece in place and mm-hmm. it's like, and then you got to nail your comps down, you know, and, and know the value of the whole thing. But, um, but okay. So, you know, how, how did you scale up to doing 30 a year? I'm curious about that because, and how many do you get, how many do you guys have going at once right now? Um, gosh, that's a good question. We normally have like three, uh, four or five going at once. Nice. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm not trying to be coy. It's, we have it. So like, so systemized that we don't really sometimes we don't ever even go to the house anymore you yeah, know what i mean that makes so, sense um that's what you so gotta do the system the system really is the know. key you know <laughs> yeah exactly i mean once you kind of have all the you know pieces in place and we have most of them in place but like i was telling you earlier we want to scale up some too so we're going to probably need some more people but once you have you know your operations, the way you do everything and you have your trusted contractors. I mean, that's such a huge piece, um, you know, because they can, you know, our contractors go look at the house for us a lot of the time. You know, we, um, we know the area or Kevin will know the area. So he'll say, Oh yeah, can you look at this and, you know, give me what you think it's going to be. And, you know, it's, it, it can be that easy. I mean, he doesn't, we don't spend a whole lot of time on it. That's great. Um, so yeah, I mean, we usually I would say like four, four or five. Four or five. Are you are you um, getting them primarily through wholesalers? Or are you finding them on the MLS? Or how do you find finding these? We we do a little bit of both. Um, we get most of them are from wholesalers, and I would say probably seventy percent, gotcha. um, and thirty percent are from realtors okay. that we have networked with. Um, you know, throughout the the years or that just know we buy or, or whatever, like working with us. Um, and realtors are a great resource, you know? Absolutely. So do Um, do you, um, you you mentioned the, uh, the contractor being one of them, one of them is a good friend. Are they sharing an equity in your deals? Are you just paying them outright? How how are you incentivizing them? No. (laughs) Um, and I would advise just from past experience, we've, we've tried that before. It, 
like any business, it has to be just the absolute great, you know, great person, great partnership. Everything's all, you know, agreed to and, and, and talked about beforehand before you would ever or should ever go into business with someone. We have made that mistake before. It was quite an ordeal getting untangled from this contractor that we did that with. Interesting. And yeah. And so um, I would not advise that unless it's like your brother <laughs> or like your, <laughs> you know, your dad, <laughs> um, because it can be super tricky. And um, yeah, but no, they're not, they don't have, we're just their best clients. <laughs> cool. Cool. So, so you yeah. get, um, you get the, the wholesale deal in, you have your contractor go look at it. You're, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, let's talk about the system you've created because that's that's yeah. the that's the magic sauce and all this. So, um, the the contractor goes and looks at the property. I'm guessing they they tell you what they think the repairs would be, and then are well, you guys pulling have, comps or how has how are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, we usually do that ourselves. Um, we we're not 100 percent hands free yet, um, but that's the that's the goal, right? So we get them from one of one of two ways. I kind of neglected to mention this other person. <laughs> we do have someone that calls. Um, we do have a girl that um, makes phone calls, and we do have a another like an acquisitions person that goes out and looks at things as well. Gotcha. Um, but uh, the bulk of what we get still, I would say, still the majority is probably from wholesalers. Gotcha. So okay. yeah, our contractor. Really, um, either the acquisitions guy or Kevin or the contractor, one of those three people will go look at it and um, do the repair estimate. And I, I love it when Kevin does it because he's gotten so good at it throughout the years. And this isn't if you want to scale, but if you're doing it yourself in the beginning, this is a you know great skill to have. Is he usually comes within you know a couple hundred dollars of what it's going to be. Like he just knows what everything is going to cost, and that's a a really great thing when you're, you know, looking at your comps and, you know, looking at your deal and yeah. trying to analyze it. So that's a, you know, that's a great thing. But obviously, if you can kind of cut yourself out of that and just have your contractor do it, it's ideal because that saves you so much time. Sure. And, you know, you don't have to worry about knowing, you know, what everything's going to cost. Sure. If you don't, you know, if you don't have that experience. Sure. From uh, from so from the time you close on one of these to the time you're getting it sold, how, how long do you think the renovation and sales process generally takes? Well, usually, depending on the size of the renovation, but I would say three to four weeks for a renovation. Um, we usually sell. We we like to price our properties um, pretty aggressively, and that means that we don't like to. Um, stretch it for the neighborhood. We like to sell it like immediately. You know what I mean? I don't like, we don't like things to kind of hang out there and like, oh, let's see how much I can get. No, we want it to be like multiple offers. You know, there's a line of five people wanting this property. And we stage all of our properties too, which is tremendously helpful with selling. I totally agree. I did an entire episode on that. I think that's, if you're flipping houses, you you have to budget that in. It's because, I mean, it just moves your property so much faster. And you're going to get more. You're going to get more. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I mean, we've, and we've kind of experimented with that. Like we've, you know, had some properties that we said, well, we don't think we're going to stage this. And well, let's see, you know, and sure enough, I mean, as soon as we did stage it, it would sell. (laughs) Sure, sure. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it does make a huge difference, and I I think it's the best money you can you can spend. Sure, especially on an older house because 
it, it tends to hide those little, <laughs> those tiny little defects, you sure, know, that yeah. they may see if there wasn't beautiful furniture in there. But, yeah. um, well, and I, um, yeah. I was talking to the, the lady that's been staging our properties and, um, she was saying she had a client that was having trouble sell, selling their house. And, um, they brought her over and said, you know, we're having trouble selling this. And she gave them a price on staging. They said, Oh, we don't know if we want to do that. It's a lot of money. It was like, you know, 1500 bucks or $2,000 or something. And, um, and they said, well, we thought about just replacing the flooring in the kitchen. And she was like, you know, I, she's like, I almost guarantee you that if you'll stage this instead of replacing the flooring, it'll sell. And they, they're like, all right, mm-hmm. we're going to give you a shot. So they brought her in and she staged it and it sold like almost immediately. And yeah, like I would say, I, and I, we had the same experience. Like we had one that we had renovated that was beautiful and it just sat and then we got it staged and then it sold. You know, it's like yeah. the staging will move stuff for sure. And I and I do think you get more for it. So, okay. So you really um, do. like three or four weeks on the renovation and then let's mm-hmm. say you price it aggressively and it goes under contract, you know, the first yeah. week. And then you, may, you pr- most people want, you know, three to four weeks to close. So are, are you typically going yeah. start to finish in a couple months? Is that generally... <sighs> I would say three. I would say three to four months. Three to four months. Okay. Know? Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, cool. I would say three to four months. So, and, um, and what do you guys just, on average, what do you what do you average profit wise per flip? Would you say? Well, we. I mean, we kind of take a different approach. I know some people um, will do it like you know ARV and like. I'm sorry, my phone's beeping in due to ARV and all of that. But um, we really look at it more like profit margin, like 15%. Yeah. So that's where, you know, if we right now, because it's tight as far as like the prices that we're paying, um, which is why we're now going direct to seller again. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Because we just are getting kind of squeezed out with wholesaling. Sure. With wholesalers, rather. Um, so we're going back to direct to seller just as a necessity. We didn't want to, but we have to. Um, because those, you know, those margins have gone down to more like 10%, you know, but usually sure. we like to be at the 15%, right. you know, at least. Um, so on a, on a, on a $200,000 house, you know, you're making twenty to 30000 something like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, All that's right. the that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, sometimes so, sometimes yeah. better, sometimes less. Um, but yeah. very very cool. So this built you built the system, and now you're doing um, around thirty a year. That's 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 incredible. Um, so tell me about your goal of of wanting to do more. What are you trying to to scale up to? We would like to be at the hundred a year mark, and that's kind of just an arbitrary number. It doesn't really have we don't have any real meaning behind it <laughs> as far as like, uh, you know, but I think that's probably, I mean, our goal just to be transparent is kind of going from where we are to the, you know, to seven figures that's yeah. a, a year. I mean, that's, yeah. that's where we want to, that's where we want to be. We're hoping 2020, you know, will probably hit it. That'd so. be incredible. Wow. That's the, that's the goal. Seven figures off flips. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, so what, I mean, when you get to that point, are you, what's, what's your game plan? Are you, are you investing in buy and hold rentals or what's your strategy with, with all this? Yeah, I think we're, we're looking at doing, um, a little bit of, of everything we buy and hold some now, but we definitely want to 
uh, scale that up for ourselves. And, you know, one of our strategies as well is providing turnkey rentals to investors that are in other parts of the country that they can't, um, you know, they can't really invest in rental properties where they are. Like, for instance, we have some investors in Boston. You know, you can't you can't buy a residential rental in Boston. Sure. Um, the numbers don't make sense. You know, California, same thing. So, right. um, you know, we're really looking to probably double down on on, on that um, that business model because it's been working really well for us this year and and last year, and we really enjoy it. And it kind of cuts out the the retail buyer, you know. Right, right. And I think you, you know, if if anything, we want to look a little bit, <laughs> try to look a little bit ahead and say, all right, if we're going to have a little dip in the market, you know, let's let's cover our bases and let's, um, you know, stick to maybe some things that are a little bit safer as far as uh, not being so, you know, affected by that. You know, we've been enjoying um, a really good market for a while, and absolutely, you know, yeah. it's. It is gonna. There is gonna be, you know, a little bit of a dip at some point. Sure. So, you so guys yeah. Still so own, that's the plan. Do you guys still own any of your um, of your single families or one to four family stuff? I know you mentioned, yeah, owning some yeah. Uh, storage units and some commercial. Yeah, we do. We have our own um, rental properties as well. Yeah, we have yeah. a property management company too. So we manage our own properties as well as our investors that um, buy our turnkey rentals. Very cool. Very cool. Do you, yeah. So I guess did you started your own turnkey company. And, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. part of our, it's part of our model that we, gotcha. you know, do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So do you, um, do you turn any of these flips into turnkey rentals instead of selling them? Is that something? Oh done? yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the majority of what we're doing now. Um, just, you know, it's uh, <laughs> like I told you um, earlier, we had just, gotten our appraisals have just been slashed, you know, during the past several months. And we're just kind of over it. We're like, well, you know, we have this other thing that we're doing that's really working. So why aren't we doing more of that? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you constantly are kind of, you know, you're when you're in your own business, like you get so in it that sometimes you don't really step out of the, you know, 10,000 foot view. And so we had to kind of step back and say, wait a minute, what do we really want to be focusing on right now? And right. so we've, you know, refocused on really building that part about it, uh, that side of the business out sure. even more so than like retail flipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Emily and I were talking, um, I'm an appraiser. I, I have my certified general license and um, we were, we were talking about how kind of the, like the elephant in the room on all this stuff is, is the appraisal and a lot of times you'll, you know, you'll have your, you'll buy your deal from your wholesaler, you'll pull your comps and you'll, you'll know your numbers and you'll go in and rehab the property and um, go to do your refinance or, you know, somebody will come in to buy it for what you had it listed for. And then your, your appraisal will come in low and you're like, you know, it can, it can really throw a wrench into the whole situation. And, um, and anyway, we were talking about that and that's something that we've run into as well, but sometimes the appraisal will come in high. Sometimes it comes in low and we've kind of learned to kind of, um, hope for the best, but to expect the worst on the appraisal and kind of expect to leave a little money in our deals, um, on the the refinance side. Um, sometimes we were able to refi completely and, and get all of our money back and go do more. But, um, yeah, it's, it's the, the appraisal is kind of like the, 
it's it's kind of like the linchpin to the whole thing, you know? You know, it really is. And, you know, I know we were talking about this earlier, like it's uh, it's always a question mark. And I think a lot of that has to do with the appraisers that have been around, you know, through the crash. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, um, they took a lot of heat during that time. Yep. You know, they... It, there's a lot of lawsuits. There was a lot of stuff going on. It was just a crazy time. So I think, you know, from their perspective, they maybe just are a little bit gun shy of, of overvaluing, yeah. you know, property. And I totally understand that. But it can be super frustrating when, yeah. you know, your value is slashed and yeah. there's not a whole lot you can do about it other than contest. And like we right. were saying, I haven't had any luck right. with that. I mean, we may have gotten one, you know, maybe one in all of our years of doing it. Yeah. Uh, adjusted but yep yeah you know. yeah there's there's some um, you know and and I was I was doing appraisals I started doing appraisal in 04 and so you know I was one of those appraisers who who experienced that whole crash and there were a ton of appraisers that really got nailed and you know I was yes. I was blessed and fortunate not to deal with any of that but I was very very it made me very very thankful that you know from 04 to 08 that I was doing stuff the right way and wasn't cutting corners and trying to make people's values and that kind of thing, just always appraising it for what it was worth, you know? And I, yes. I, think, I think that's actually a good segue into um, the legal side of all this, which you are, you're an attorney that specializes in real estate. And I wanted to get your advice on some of the, you know, the common, the common questions people have on investing in real estate and how to set themselves up for success on the legal side and protect themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm I'm very passionate about this because there's a lot of bad advice out there. There are a lot of people, um, well-intentioned people, okay, good people that are, you know, telling people that are just getting started, oh, don't worry about this. Oh, don't worry about, you know, forming your LLC. Don't worry about the kind of contract you use. And, you know, as someone who is seen <laughs> the dark side of that um, in more ways than one, you know, definitely worry about those things. I mean, you're working hard to keep everything that you've got, <laughs> number one, and your future earnings, you know. I mean, the first thing that you should be doing is forming an LLC. And I know that a lot of people don't have a lot of funds to work with a lawyer. Um, but, you know, do it, go to courtnet, you know, .com, like just get that done. There's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cheap ways to do it that, you know, I would say definitely that should be the first thing on, on your list because you don't want your personal assets to be the subject of a judgment. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're buying and selling properties in their personal names and it's just a terrible idea. So, so what, I mean, the, the most common legal question I get, and I'm not an attorney, so I always say, you know, go consult a real estate attorney, but mm -hmm. uh, the most common question I get is, is should I form an LLC uh, for my investment properties? And when do I need to form one? Is there a certain number of properties, you know, that I need to hold in an LLC before I start another one? You know, what, what can you tell us on that? Yeah, well, here's what I would say. I mean, the, the strategies are a little bit different, you know, depending on what your risk tolerance is. Sure. And for, for myself, like I, I would say I have maybe a higher risk tolerance than some people. I do see a lot of investors um, that I work with 
they'll want to set up an LLC per property. And that's fine. Um, you can do that. That's going to be a bit of a headache come, you know, when, when tax season rolls around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I actually just had this conversation with my CPA like a couple weeks ago. We were trying to come up with some strategies on how to, um, you know, minimize that. And there's no great answer to that. And what a lot of attorneys will say is try the series LLC where you can form one LLC like in Delaware. Not every state you can do this in. So you would have to do it in a different, probably a different state than you're in. But attorneys uh, like myself who, you know, live in, I live in Florida, so Florida doesn't have that statute. We can't, you know, I wouldn't say form an LLC somewhere where you don't live. So what you want to do is form your LLC. If you're buying a property and let's say you're buying it cash, okay, then one LLC per property is probably you know, a good thing to do. If you're going to leverage the properties, let's say you're going to buy them cash and you're going to refinance, then your risk is a little bit lower because you got to really look at it like um, based on equity and not so much based on number of properties. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. So if you're looking at, okay, well, I want to have, you know, 100,000 exposure or I want to have, you know, 300,000 or whatever of exposure, then you can kind of look at your portfolio and say, all right, well, I need to, you know, keep this amount of properties in one LLC and, um, you know, move, move things around accordingly. But I think you ought to look at it from an equity standpoint and not so much a number of properties standpoint. Sure. sure. Cause if you get sued, um, the, the, the assets in that LLC are what the, the, um, what what can be basically liquidated and and you know yes. lost correct so if you've exactly. got if you got 80% loan to value um loans on all your properties and you've got 10 in there you've got 10 properties times that 20% equity that's like the maximum pretty much someone could get so it's and it's not the right. same as having 10 paid for properties in there cuz then obviously there's a lot more that somebody could could um come after so yes i mean whatever if you have one you know one, two, three Main Street LLC, and that owns one, two, three Main Street, <laughs> and that's it, then, you know, that's the only thing that's going to be included in any type of judgment that you, that would be, you know, against that property. And we have been sued before. So I want everyone to really understand that that's kind of just think of it as the cost of doing business. It doesn't always mean, you know, that you're you done something wrong or that anything was wrong with it, even wrong with the property, but it's just something that you're going to have to deal with. So be prepared, you know, be prepared for that day because it, if you do enough deals, it's going to happen. You know, it's sure. happened to us. We've been sued twice, you know? Yeah. Um, and luckily it, it worked out in our favor, but we still had to spend thousands of dollars. You know, one, we ended up settling, which I was so disappointed with because we were, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was a trash, you know, lawsuit, but we still had sure. to deal with it. Sure. And the other, um, we won on summary judgment, which means we still had to go through quite a bit of the legal, you know, the court process sure. to uh, to win. But you know, it takes time and money, and it's super stressful. Absolutely. And you, so if and you can avoid it, definitely and, avoid it. And you're an attorney, and most people aren't, so you you actually have. Yeah, a, that was a, getting the friends and family discount yeah, from my friend. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's um. 
Yeah, that that's definitely okay. So, what about umbrella coverage? Is that a good idea to have? It is a good idea. The umbrella um, insurance is great because you're going to have um, insurance coverage on your homeowner's policy, and you really want to make friends with a good insurance person and not someone who's just going to constantly try to sell you something, but somebody who understands what they're actually selling you and, and really understand you know how these policies work because there's going to be a limit you know on that homeowner's policy and if someone falls and this just happened actually to um, a woman that I know in my neighborhood she had a party and someone fell and got injured and her medical bills were like you know well over a million dollars and she did not have an umbrella. Um, policy, so she was personally liable oh, wow. for whatever the homeowner's you know policy doesn't cover. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of assets, you know, maybe you're just starting out. It's not something that I'd be too too concerned about. But when you start accumulating, you know, some some assets and some things that you may not want to you know hand over, then that's something to think about. You know that um, that's a that's a great thing to have. There sure. is no. There is no like errors and emissions insurance for real estate investors like there is for right. <laughs> realtors. You know what I yeah, mean? Sure. So yeah. anything you can do to mitigate um, your exposure, I always say is, is a good thing, you sure. know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was thinking um, back to the LLC um, point we were we were discussing. Uh, I've, I, I've got a, a friend that's an investor who's got something like 100 properties and... Mm-hmm. He said that I said, well, so how did you structure all this? And he said, well, I, you know, I've got LLCs. I've got, I think he's got maybe five to 10 LLCs. And so I think he's got, you know, about 10 properties in 10 of these LLCs mm-hmm. uh, in 10, 10 properties in each LLC. Anyway, you know, and I said, oh, so these are probably all paid off by now. He's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're essentially all paid off. But he's like, I refinance and pull all the equity out of them. So that if yeah. if anyone were to come after it, you know, there's not much there. Yeah. And I was like, genius, you know. So that, that's an yeah. excellent strategy yeah. for asset protection. Um, you know, one of the things we like to say if you're looking, if you're starting to accumulate some assets and you want to, you know, make sure that you're not, you know, you're doing things the right way. I mean, it's like own nothing and control everything. And I can't remember who exactly who exactly <laughs> said that, but it's so true. And there's a lot of other strategies that you can use, you know, with LLCs, but also, um, you know, with things like land trusts and other types of trusts that you can set up, um, you know, more so f- for privacy purposes and to to have that appearance of, of owning nothing. So, sure. you know, uh, some... Uh, upstart lawyer can't come and yeah. <laughs> see that you own, you know, this LLC that sure. owns, um, you know, 80 properties or something like yeah. that, because that does happen. Yeah. And, you know, it's another thing to kind of just be prepared for and, and think about that. Okay. Let me, know. let me ask you a, a question that I've never mm-hmm. heard anyone discuss. And I'm curious about what your advice would be. Sure. I mean, I know we're running out of time here, but, um, when it comes to your primary resident, let's say you're a real estate investor and you're a successful investor and you've got some uh, substantial assets and equity and you're trying to protect yourself. And let's say you got your house paid off, mm-hmm. right? What, what's a good way to protect your primary residence from from a lawsuit and somebody coming in and trying to to um, to basically access that equity you have? Well, you're going to hate this answer because it's such a lawyer answer, and it does it depends. Okay, okay. And the the reason it depends is because um, 
for instance, I'll, I'll give you the example for myself. Like I own my personal residence in mine and my husband's name. Normally, I wouldn't say own property in your personal name, right? I just kind of went on this whole thing about it. Right. But when it's your personal residence, and if you live in Florida, we have um, super uh, strong constitutional, Florida constitutional protections of our homestead. We have an unlimited exemption for um, your personal residence. That means if I own a $10 million home, free and clear, it's no one can ever take that from me. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of another strategy, you know, depending on what state you live in and what your your state law is, that you can, you know, use some of that to your advantage as well. But, you know, there's a lot of really good strategies um, with with protecting your assets. I mean, I even know people, and I haven't done this yet, but I'm so going to do it, <laughs> is um, <laughs> when they have uh, paid off properties, I mean, you can create your own another LLC and loan yourself the money to cloud, you know, to put a mortgage on that property. It yeah. doesn't have to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the yeah. whole point, you know, of doing that is for asset protection. Totally. I love or, it. or unless you want to, you know, free up some capital, like that's an, another thing too. Yeah. But um, but yeah, with your personal residence, I mean, like I said, I can't speak for every state, but in Florida, I mean, for sure. The, the Florida Constitution is so strong with spouses and with children that even if I deeded it into you know a trust or something like that, the Florida Constitution is going to override anything that we could do. Cool. So what, what I would suggest for people that live in Florida, if it's your personal residence and you have minor kids, keep it in your personal name. When the kids are out of the house, you can go ahead and put it into you know a trust, into a living trust that you're creating for estate planning, so as to keep your all of the um, wonderful you know, property tax exemptions and, and things that you can get here. Very cool. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. Okay. Let's let's quickly go into our random time for random questions. All right. <laughs> okay. Here, here's one for you. Do you watch the show The Office? Yes. Who, who's your favorite character and why? Oh my God. I love, <laughs> I love Michael Scott oh, so I do too. much. Gotta love Michael Scott. It's so hard. It's so painful and so painful. And wonderful. But I <laughs> I love him so much. Oh, I do too. And I, yeah, yeah. That absolutely. is the greatest I, show. Like, I, I think my wife and I have gone through that show like five times now. So, I we I recently rewatched the whole thing on Netflix last year. So it's so <laughs> it incredible, so good. Uh, it's man. So good. Yes. They're not gonna. They can't recreate that. They were talking about doing a reunion. I'm like, don't do it. It's just not going to be the just same. Believe it. Can't it. Be. I yeah, know. It's just too good. I don't mess don't with perfection. It. I know because they sure, brought a re- it, yeah. they brought Arrested Development back, and it's just bad and the old ones are so good and I'm like don't yeah. do it to the office you know so anyway I know it's so true um okay here's my here's my other question what what's the like maybe like the 22nd version of the craziest thing that's happened while flipping a house oh my gosh um <laughs> outside of like you know the the entire real estate meltdown that you guys experienced uh what's what's been like if y'all had like anything like just crazy in a property ha- happen we have we we had um unbeknownst to us um we had a guy blow up our house that had a vet lab in it <laughs> that would qualify <laughs> yeah it was this huge tall um former basketball player okay <laughs> And he always paid on time. So we were like, whatever, you know, I, whatever. And um, then we got this call from the sheriff's office. He always paid, in cash. He always paid yeah. in cash. 
<laughs> yeah, he did. And <laughs> we didn't really think anything. This was like back in the day, like yeah. probably 07. And um, yeah, we got a call from the sheriff's office that our ha- the house was on fire. We're like, what in the world? We're like, oh no. <laughs> and you know, you immediately think, oh my gosh, is like anyone injured or was it the wiring or oh, and yeah. no, it was a meth lab. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so did, yeah, that's probably one of the craziest. I'm, I'm guessing insurance covered it or what happened? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Luckily we had some insurance on it, but Kevin, uh, another really funny one that he did, um, so in Florida, we have a lot of hurricanes and he had gotten, <laughs> he was closing on this property like on the Friday and he didn't get in. Like a lot of times you'll get insurance like the day before the, you know, he's, you know, he'll wait till the last minute sometimes. Sure. Well, there was a hurricane coming. So um, I don't know if you guys <laughs> experienced this, but no insurance company is going to bind a property, you know, when you're about to get hit by a hurricane, sure, no matter right. where you are in Florida. And so he was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, we'll just, we'll get it next week. So he went ahead and closed on the house. Well, the house burned down the next day. <laughs> oh, no. So he, yes. And this is how, like, he's, this is how lucky Kevin is on, on some things, too. So the, the house burned down. It wasn't worth a whole lot to begin with, but it burned down. He ended up still, this is the height of the market, okay? This is how crazy it was in Florida. He still ended up flipping the burnt house to someone and made money. <laughs> right? Crazy. Uh, I might title it was the, I might title crazy. this episode how to flip burnt houses. So, yes. Yeah, your amazing. house just burned down. Don't worry. <laughs> tenant blow your house There's up a with a buyer for that. Yeah. Tenant blow your house up with a meth lab. No worries. Yeah. You'll still make thirty thousand on it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Emily, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for um for for sharing your experience and and your your wisdom and advice with our um our podcast listeners. And um it's been it's been cool spending time with you on the podcast. Um let let's stay in touch and, and tell me this. If if our listeners want to get in touch with you, um are is there is there any certain way you would recommend they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they can head on over to hicksmore.com. That's the, my website. It's H-I-C-K-S-M-O-O-R-E.com. And if they want to schedule, you know, a lot of people are probably scared from those stories now. <laughs> and, <laughs> no. and, um, I have a scheduling link. We do free strategy sessions just to kind of get you going, even if you don't, you know, want to, to you know, hire us or whatever you can schedule a free strategy session and I'll be more than happy to talk to you about your personal situation and what I think you ought to, you know, help guide you into making some good decisions about getting yourself um, set up to do real estate investing. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well, well, Hey, thanks so much. And um, you have a good day. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'd love to connect with you. So please hit me up on Instagram at daily real estate investor or on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. If you want to know more about this episode, check out our show notes along with the blog at dailyrealestateinvestor.com. And don't forget to sign up for the mailing list while you're there. We'll keep you up to date on the book in the works as well as new episodes. And tune in next time for another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor. And do me a massive favor. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review for me, and share the show with your friends. Your support means the absolute world to me and know that I will do everything within my power to help you reach financial freedom through real estate investing. I love you each and believe you're capable of far more than you think possible.